to the Dakota Student Podcast, everyone. I am Brooke, and I am your host, and I'm here today with Claire and Demi. How are you guys doing? We're doing all right. It's been a hectic week. Glad it's the weekend, but we and Freddie started all off over again, right? Mm. Yeah, I can't believe we're headed into, is it week five already? Week four? Week five? Yep. So we're already halfway to midterms. We're ne- we're nearly to October. I'm still convinced it's like July, August, right? <laughs> we're mid-September. So, all right, we're gonna get started with news. So Notre Dame is reopening in 2024, the same year of the Paris Olympics. Yep, I found that really interesting. So that's five years after the initial flame. 2019 is when Notre Dame caught fire. Um. What I find super interesting is they're basically restabilizing a, an old historic building. Like it's it's so much different if you were to just, you know, no one's tearing down Notre Dame. But like if you were to essentially tear it down and rebuild, like, yeah, that would take a long time. Think about the Sagrada Familia in, you know, Barcelona. Like that's such a massive undertaking, but they're essentially stabilizing Notre Dame. And all the details that go along with it, like the flying buttresses, the gargoyles, like that's a massive undertaking. And so to get that done in five years, in my opinion, is quite impressive. Granted, I don't know a whole lot about architecture, something I'd like to learn more about. But again, keeping in that timeline for Paris 2024, Summer Olympics, that's a massive tourist destination. It all kind of makes sense. But yeah, I know that there was a ton of debate about whether they were going to kind of redo it and do it like more modern and change things or keep it Mm. exactly how it was before. And it looks like they're going exactly how it was. But if I were visiting, I wouldn't want to go see it if it was like redone differently. I feel like the point of going to see something historic isn't to go see it after they've decided to change things no no i mean there is so much history in notre dame mm-hmm. especially when you think about um its implications in pop culture i mean you don't you don't need a remix of notre dame like no. you want it to stay as historically accurate and precise as possible so if they can get that done in five years like great um Yeah, I'll be interested to see if they actually keep it and keep on that timeline and not extend it. But I think with the pressure of the Olympics and all of the tourism coming, they pretty much have to have it finished. But it just seems like a really tight timeline for something so Mm -hmm. big and monumental. And something that we wouldn't consider, but from my understanding, Notre Dame, um, the building material is mostly stone. So to match that stone, whether you're having to go back to an original uh, quarry to get that matched, like that's not easy work. You have to get all of that shipped and brought over, Mm -hmm. uh, making, again, making it match and appear seamless to, you know, historically recreate something so monumental Mm -hmm. that's got to be intense but i'm sure that's actually really interesting again tourism wise how you're gonna make money off of that but also the rebuilding process that will also be some financial revenue for the city of paris as well as other surrounding areas that will be profiting off of that Mm -hmm. so 
Absolutely. Post-COVID, that's important. So the Luke Combs concert was this weekend, and they set a new record at the Alaris Center for 22,000 people. I think that the last one that came kind of close to it was George Strait in 2013. Hmm. So my confession is I don't like country music. Um, I know that puts a target on my back. I grew up uh, for the most part in Western North Dakota. So clearly I am a black sheep. So to be honest, I, I mean, it's insane to think about, you know, 22,000 people in one area period, much less Grand Forks, North Dakota. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of friends who went and clearly enjoyed it. Oh, my other confession that I have to admit is I thought it was Luke Holmes. I, the way people, uh, kind of cut off that C in Combs, like Luke Holmes, like the K in Luke and K in Combs kind of went all together. So it was like Luke Holmes and I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> so, oops. Uh, yeah. So that's on me not keeping up with country music or, uh, basic phonetics, I guess, but I'm absolutely not surprised that he was the one to set a new record. I think that um, the country concerts are the ones that do the best in Grand Forks. Obviously, we're in North Dakota. It's not very surprising. Um, but I think having that extra time, because the concert was delayed almost two years, having that extra time for people to buy tickets and then everyone wanting to go out and you know go to a concert that because they haven't been able to do that for two years, really helped bump that revenue up a bit. So I'm really curious um, on the actual capacity of the Alaris Center. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, which, you know, that's a reliable source out here. It says that the capacity is 21,000 people. So is that 22,000 record that was set by the concert, is that necessarily... Tickets sold, actual physical attendance. I imagine that the Alaris has probably expanded from that 21,000 capacity. And maybe that's just actual seating. Concerts are different where mm -hmm. there's, you know, floor and standing room. But mm -hmm. I thought that I read that it was 22,000 tickets sold. Okay. So I also heard um, from my friends that when I didn't get to go, sadly, but... They went, it was supposed to start at seven and he didn't come out on stage until nine o'clock. He had two oh. openers really, that were each an hour long. And then he was only on stage for an hour and a half. Hmm. Dang. So it went really late, but the majority of the concert was his openers. His openers took longer than him himself. So I guess he went off stage mm -hmm. um, near the end. You know, they usually go off stage and then they'll come back and sing maybe like five or six more songs. He left, came back, did two more songs, and that was the end of it. So I knew a lot of people um, were shocked by that because his openers definitely were out there longer than the usual. Do we know who his uh, openers were? One was, uh, I think, Ashlyn McBride. I'm sorry. He's I just, for Luke Combs being as big as he is, and like he is the biggest person in country music right now, to have Drew Parker open, like that's not a name that most people know. Well, as I said, I don't keep track of country, so mm. I... Can't weigh in there. <laughs> At least for myself, I don't really know him. I I think Ashlyn McBride is a good one to have. She's like 
a really big up and coming person right now, Mm -hmm. but Drew Parker's still kind of flying under the radar. So this, maybe this will be really big for him though. Do you know if they were the original openers? You said the tour has been delayed by approximately two years. So I'm not sure. That could just be who is currently touring. You're right. Um, It could be. So that's probably something to weigh in on. Mm -hmm. On a side note, sorry, I'm still skipping Wikipedia here. We had Britney Spears at the Alaris in 2009. Really? What? You're telling me that just set the record? Please. That is my 2000s dream. We seem to get so many country concerts, though, but not a lot from other. Mm-hmm. Oh, we also had Backstreet Boys in 2001. Mm. Wow. We were supposed to have like an Elton John concert like in 2020, but it got canceled what? because of COVID. Really? I didn't know that. Man. Uh. I'm from Minot, which is home of the North Dakota State Fair, and uh, that's almost exclusively country concerts. I made a lot of money babysitting back in the day because I didn't want to go to any of the concerts, so I'd watch people's kiddos or siblings, whatever it needed to be, and they'd go enjoy the country concerts, but our peak um, artists that we ever had there, we had Taylor Swift for, oh, speak now, I want to say. It wasn't Fearless. But yeah, we also had Fallout Boy back in the day. That's the only concert I wanted to go to and couldn't make it. So that was depressing. But yeah, I couldn't even tell you our country lineup for this past year because I saw it and did not care. But yeah, no, I know. um, I think the next big one coming to the Alaris is Eric Church on October 1st. So that's going to be a big one. Mm -hmm. Also, can I just say like, 22,000 people. Uh, I cannot even like think of how bad the traffic probably was that night. <laughs> I drove past going the opposite direction and there were cars all the way from like the Alaris all the way down 42nd up until like the turn at Gateway. Oh. It was backed up so far. It was ridiculous. I made sure to not go that way on the way home because you would have been sitting there for hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine going to a concert for like three and a half plus hours and then being stuck in traffic for yeah. like longer. Yeah, and I mean, just 22,000 people in general, that's uh, UND's campus population for undergrads, about 14,000, give or take. So you can throw in maybe another two, 3,000 for post like graduate school stuff. Mm-hmm. That's every single UND student, whether they're physically here or taking online essentially packed into the layers and then some like and in the middle of a pandemic oh yeah that's fine (laughs) i think covid numbers in the next i i would not be surprised if they just spiked Mm -hmm. i'm also curious how many people were out of town and came in for the concert like how other that might crop up in some smaller areas yeah absolutely but i definitely don't see it doing great things for our on-campus population Mm -hmm. But we shall see. Well, I mean, in regard to on-campus stuff, uh, UND recently just put out their $100 vaccination program. So I'm curious how that will play out. Uh, So to get all my facts straight, UND is offering students $100. It's not from tuition money. Like, it's a federal grant. So it's not necessarily like UND students paying for other students to for that incentive um however you have to be fully vaccinated between september 15th and november 10th 
of this year. Uh, the email that was sent out has a link to the website. So it tells you uh, what vaccines are good, Moderna, Pfizer, J&J, and when you need to get your first dose by because Moderna and Pfizer is two doses. The J&J is one. In order to get your money, there's like that payment plan option where if they ever need to refund you for things, which I remember my freshman year was like, UND is never going to refund me for anything. They will take every dollar. Come 2020, I'm on a meal plan and housing and got refunded for some of that. But yeah. And then you have to obviously request that form to get all of that in. The city of Grand Forks is also doing an incentive. It's $50 for, it's like an e-gift card, but it's only for specific local businesses, which I thought was actually really cool because I mean, local businesses have been hit the hardest throughout this pandemic. So for the city of Grand Forks to, you know, be incentivizing people to, of course, be vaccinated, take steps to protect themselves as well as others in the community, turn that back for local businesses. I think that was really interesting. And so UND students can get that $100 as well as the $50 Grand Forks one. Um, on the flip side, we all know how people have responded to this. Um, so did it say, what did it say for students that had already been vaccinated? It was just like a, oh, Good job. Oh, okay. I will read you the direct (laughs) quote from the website. So they have like a frequently asked questions little thing at the bottom. It says, if students received a vaccination shot before September 15th of 2021, are they eligible for the $100 incentive? The first word is no. (laughs) Uh, No, if you received one or both shots before September 15th, 2021, you are not eligible for the incentive. You won't be able to get vaccinated again to receive the incentive, but you have earned the appreciation of our campus and local communities. It continues on saying this incentive program is designed to, quote, protect the flock, unquote, by getting more students newly vaccinated. It's about the collective benefit to the entire campus community that parts in bold so that's clearly their pr strat on this one rather than the individual's benefit of receiving a hundred dollars while paying um those who have already been vaccinated may seem fair the immense cost to do so is better spent on direct expenses to keep the campus and its members safe that is the official und response to why they are not giving that money to students who have already been vaccinated So people that already got vaccinated just get their pat on the back, even though they were the ones that stepped up first. And, you know, yeah, I I'm frustrated by this for a multitude of reasons. Like, I I do understand, like, yeah, if it's federal grant money, like there's only so much to go around. Even the city of Grand Forks one, it's I saw their exact numbers. It was fifty thousand dollars was their grant or however they were receiving that money. And so it's the first thousand people 50 times 1000 right like that makes sense i get that und doesn't have that information from what i could tell and i like okay i can't get any of the vouchers because i'm vaccinated and i don't really have any symptoms so like i mean i i could totally lie if they wanted me to you know roll up and get those testing stuff done and collect my voucher but like that's not really benefiting the community in any way, shape, or form. Um, I can't, I'm not eligible for the $100 or $50 from Grand Forks. Oh, I should also add the Grand Forks was only Pfizer vaccination. It, that was slightly different. So, in theory, if you could get $100 for Pfizer for UND and 
if you got Pfizer, again, another 50 for Grand Forks. Um, I myself have Pfizer, so I'm missing out on 150 bucks. <laughs> um, that's irritating. Again, no vouchers or any benefits for being tested because I am currently not showing any symptoms and I'm vaccinated. So that's highly irritating. And I, I do understand that, like, yes, it makes sense to put some of the other funding towards other initiatives to keep people safe on campus. But like, let's be real here. You already have your little floor stickers that say six feet apart wingspan or whatever it has to do with our hawk logo these days. I mean, all that is up. Plexiglass is in so many classrooms. We already have masks. If you were to go get a mask right now from student involvement, it's a mask that was made in 2020. It's not like they've bought new ones. <sighs> Come on, if you don't have a mask, you're you're not yeah. you're not trying or you're incredibly forgetful. Maybe I'll give you the benefit mm. of the doubt on that one. Um that's been that's been like a, a reoccurring thing where people will like come to the dining center without a mask. And we don't give masks away anymore. So like we just have to turn them away and be like, hey, can you just go get a mask, please? Yeah. I think places or people are still thinking that because it's required and because it's mandatory that they will always be provided one. Mm -hmm. Yep. But I don't know if I agree that the incentive is fair. However, I do think that it is going to work in getting a lot of the rest of the unvaccinated population at UND vaccinated, because let's be honest, there is very little things that students will not do for money. Mm -hmm. So I I understand their push in the right direction kind of for keeping campus safe. And I do think that, you know, offering a money incentive is probably one of the best things that they can do. I don't think it's fair for the students that are already vaccinated. But I do think that um, we will see vaccination numbers go up a little bit. Here's the flip mm -hmm. side. UND's rival school, a couple miles south, is offering vaccination money for students who have already been vaccinated. Uh -huh. So that's the hot mm -hmm. take. I've seen a lot of petitions going around where, you know, I mean, FNDSU is doing it. We should be doing it. Like, that's not fair. So I have found that to be interesting. Again, a lot of petitions. I'm curious who's all been signing it. Like, I imagine it's mostly students. Um, but of course, who knows if there's influx from other places such as parents or faculty, that type of thing. The vaccination program um, is also only for students at the moment. That $100 voucher, that is for students. Faculty are not on that list. I'm not sure what NDSU is doing out there, um, if it includes faculty, but... So a fun fact about me is I've actually worked in the fashion industry for about two years. I have technically ended my internship at this point, but I still keep up with a lot of it. I manage social media and did blogging for an independent designer based in Los Angeles. And so kind of up to date on the fashion world and major events right now. It is Fashion Month. New York Fashion Week has wrapped up, but the Met Gala, that is something that I feel most people, even if you're not like super aware of like what exactly it is or even seen photos of its recent iteration, it's kind of a big deal. And the Met Gala normally takes place in 
May. It's clearly not May. It's September. So basically, it's normally in May. And the Met is um, a massive museum in New York. And they open a fashion exhibit, a costume exhibit um, every year. And that's when the Met uh, Gala actually happens. People come to this gala to essentially preview the exhibit, which is, you know, later open to the public. What's so interesting about the Met Gala is the average person can't go. So people buy tables. I shouldn't say people. Companies, businesses buy a table and then get to invite, I'm going to say whoever they want. However, there's a caveat on that because Anna Wintour, the editor-in-chief of Vogue, the massive fashion magazine kind of chairs the entire event and gives the final yes or no on the guest list as well as what the guests get to wear um because there's a theme surprise there's a theme every year and that's where most of the backlash comes every year whether they think a celebrity is too extra or if they didn't follow the theme if it's political there were several relatively political hot take fashion things was the theme um states or something it was kind of uh, so or what was it i'm looking at it now and the theme was american independence nope not quite true no mm-hmm. nope it's american uh a fashion lexicon ah. that's actually what it was people okay. said american independence so a lot of people especially on like tiktok were like yeah we're gonna get all these super like <laughs> colonial looks like heck yeah let's go some people were thinking like 70s uh, 60s rebellion type of independence um mm. Honestly, I was severely disappointed this year on how people dressed. Um, I thought it was relatively boring. There's a lot of things that like fly under the radar where you're drawing on inspiration from a specific celebrity, um, American celebrity like uh, Billie Eilish channeled old Hollywood, you know, like Marilyn Monroe. That was her look. That one is really obvious. Apparently, Kendall Jenner was supposed to be like... Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn is an American. Number one. Let's start with that. Um, Obviously, massive impact on the American film industry, but not quite what I was looking for. I was waiting for some good like literary references, like the Wizard of Oz type of thing. That did not happen. Mm -hmm. Um, There were a lot of floral looks and people were drawing upon like state flowers um that was i didn't catch that originally at first that's why i thought that it was states because um i saw a post um about it was lily reinhardt and her Mm -hmm. big like floral dress yeah yeah and again i was really hoping people would wear more american designers olivia rodrigo i was so waiting for her to pull up in mark jacobs that was my dream that was my dream i was depressed i want to say she wore maybe valentino i think it was valentino um again not american mark jacobs is just known for like that 2000s like grunge slash prom queens slash betsy johnson like vibe and that's totally what olivia rodrigo's pr team would have wanted and they just in my opinion failed that was depressing i thought lord looked really good a lot of her stuff was kind of more of where america is heading it was kind of that red white blue but a lot of her embellishments were made of recycled materials so that was super cool um little nas x had three different costume changes which 
I shouldn't say is and isn't surprising at the same time. A lot of celebrities do the change. Um, yeah, Kim Kardashian wore all black. From my understanding, it was supposed to kind of, it was like a black morph suit to an extent. It was a dress though, um, but they were, I think that was supposed to be like how her silhouette has been so iconic from, I mean, mm. anything Kardashian related. That's insane. Um, Rihanna, in my opinion, who is like the queen of the Met Gala, she wore this oversized Balenciaga couture like coat that was depressing. I was so waiting for her to just whip off the coat and have this look she didn't like okay it was cool it was good but balenciaga and oversized coats have just been a thing for years like that was depressing to me not gonna lie yeah do it yeah the theme was just so boring like i just come on guys people on tiktok have also like posed different ideas for the met gala theme like mythology is super popular like that would be so cool that would be a really good one i yeah it's just what was we doing that was not the vibe several celebrities also didn't attend hmm. um ooh, i want to say Nicki minaj for sure uh that had to do with like vaccination and covid stuff um which several barbs have really been figuring out their their fan loyalties at the moment zendaya missed the met gala that's a, was hers COVID related as well? She's like one of the biggest upcoming fashion icons lately. Yeah. She's been huge. That's so surprising that she would miss that. Um, Ariana Grande wasn't there. That was also kind of weird after ooh, 2018 was like, <sighs> I'm going to butcher the theme. It was basically uh, like religious works and when she just had that absolutely stunning gown that was to die for. I I think about that dress at least once a week. Um, yeah, the Met is also something people don't talk about, again, is how much money goes into it. To buy, like, a cheap table is a quarter of a million dollars. And again, as I said, companies like YouTube will buy a table and then invite their guests. So that's how a lot of like TikTok stars like Addison Rae were invited because they're not paying for their ticket. Designers will also purchase tables. So um, if you are invited by Prada, then yeah, you're going to wear Prada. Like That makes sense. But as I said, that's massive money. Like it's you can't even begin to imagine what it is and apparently some of it goes back to as donations to the met which is technically charity and to my knowledge is somewhat tax deductible a lot of celebrities though also kind of take that political activism route aoc wore a dress saying tax the rich a lot of people were claiming that was like performative but like she's literally trying to instigate policy to tax the rich, a.k.a. the people who are literally attending that Met Gala. So, again, I that's just such a hot topic. There are also several protests outside, which no one talks about for various causes. Um, it's it's a lot to even imagine or consume, like, media-wise. I mean, between the somewhat frivolous fashion aspects of it but also where is that money going how are we deciding who gets to be invited as i said anna wintour essentially manages all of that um politics how does all of that play into it i just 
it's not a simple event. It's really not. And that's why it's so intriguing to me. All right. So Demi here is our opinions editor. She runs our opinion column. So give me a hot take. Tell me about something interesting. Let's talk about the Hidden Valley Ranch Crocs. Oh, good God. (laughs) That is just Midwest in a nutshell. Ranch and Crocs? Oh, good God. Just add some socks to wear your Hidden Valley Ranch Crocs. I'm going to die. I should add, I did play soccer, so a lot of people, like, genuinely wore Crocs and, like, loved them. I'm personally a Nike Slides type of person. I, oh gosh, I see photos of me from like 12 wearing rainbow tie-dye Crocs. Just no, and me. Those photos don't exist as far as I'm concerned. Not like I just told you about them, but yeah. I absolutely, oh, oh god. <laughs> I saw photos of them on TikTok, but it just, ooh. With like the little food buttons on <laughs> Okay, I need, to, I need a play-by-play on each of these like Croc charms. Croc charms are also such a big thing. Um, my Heartland store Claire's used to sell a lot of croc charms back in the 2000s. So that was kind of my kind of my jam to go with those rainbow tie dye ones. I was never a crocs wearer and I will never own a pair. I personally think that all crocs should be burned. However, I think if I did have a pair, they're rubber. I I would (laughs) wear them inside my house for like a week and say, oh, I'm never going to wear these outside. Mm -hmm. Like these are inside my house only. And then pretty soon I'd be wearing them to Walmart. I'd be wearing them to Target. I'd be, you know, out on campus in them. And that is why I will never. They're a gateway drug. Yeah. They're a gateway drug. I will never purchase a pair of Crocs. (sighs) Man, I can't even. This is awful. (sighs) And so many people already have like white Crocs anyway. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, hold up. You might as well just take white Crocs and then like flick some green paint off of it. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I'm sorry, I just typed in ranch Crocs and it brought me to the Crocs store and you have to enter the drawing for a chance to purchase. You can't just buy these. You I don't have to be chosen, so. the oh. chosen one to buy these. This is more exclusive crocs. than the Met. You got to You're exclusive on these ranch. Yeah, crocs. I saw that too, and I was like, I thought it was like a chance to win them. But no, you have just yeah. Oh, just the privilege to purchase. <laughs> this is the these same crocs. thing as Inner May's bag, a Birkin bag. You yep. get to be selected to then pay <laughs> several tens of thousands of dollars to buy a purse. This is stupid. Okay, the PR marketing team really popped off, though. Let's we'll be real here. All the dips for your drip. Oh, gosh. <laughs> these these charms. Oh, gosh. Okay, let's see it. There's a ranch bottle, a slice of pizza, uh, a lime green, like, blob that says HVR, exclamation point, uh, Hidden Valley Ranch. There's French fries. I'm seeing celery, tacos, cheeseburger. There's, like, broccoli and tomato. I... I'm sorry, I'm thinking Veggie Tales now. Not the point. Just oh gosh. And there's like the little Hidden Valley like ranch logo for the like it's not a button, but you know how the back goes up and down, like it's on that um pivot point. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, this hurts. This is Midwest g- garbage fire. And I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> this hurts man yeah well final conclusion for me i will not be purchasing these i don't plan on buying any gateway drug crocs um ever um definitely not going to be hidden valley ranch ones but to be honest as i said from a pr marketing standpoint they kind of kind of went off i respect i respect that drip 
but I don't know if I respect, quote, all the dips for your drip. <laughs> Claire, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, the Taylor Swift and the whole TikTok wildest dreams in 1989 oh, yes. before Red? I'm so I'm not a. I like Taylor Swift. I do. I'm not a diehard Taylor Swift fan. So I've been scrolling on TikTok and these just aren't really making sense to me. And what's going on with the re-recordings? Okay. Buckle up, boys. (laughs) We got Taylor Swift time. Um, So Taylor Swift, number one. Uh, to abbreviate things without digging into more fandom rhetoric, basically Taylor Swift does not own all of her albums. Um, Scooter Braun owns them and that's obviously a wild story in itself. So Taylor Swift does not own 1989, which is where the song Wildest Dreams, which is trending on TikTok, is from. Um, so she's re-recording them. So all the albums and the songs are labeled. Um, it, the next album that's set to come out, a re-recorded album, is Red, Taylor's version. That's set to come out in November. Um, so that's what fans have been anticipating for the past couple of months. I'd seen things on TikTok when they announced Red, which was a ton of Easter eggs and how they announced it anyway. Um, people were like, yep, it's Sad Girl Autumn. Like, this is all we need. Like, I need to find a boyfriend to break up with me so I can just jam to red November 19th. I'm like, okay. I mean, I respect it. Fair enough. But people wanted 1989 to be recorded sooner because we wanted, you know, hot girl summer vibes. And 1989 is just all the bangers. Think about Shake It Off, mm-hmm. Bad Blood, Style. I mean, I just blank space. All of them, right? Okay. So Wildest Dreams is from 1989. And there hasn't been a date set for that album to be re-recorded. Wildest Dreams has been trending on TikTok. And it's this like slow zoom filter as the song's playing. However, as I said, Taylor Swift does not own the rights to 1989. And so Scooter Braun is making money off of this song trending on TikTok because people are using it. And Taylor really woke up one day and said, that's enough and re-recorded wildest dreams and now you know everyone's tried to make the switch to be like giving using wild dreams taylor's version in the trend i mean taylor swift has the entire fandom in a headlock right now and when she put it on tiktok she recently joined tiktok too she has like an official account and everything and a lot of it's like her cats and stuff it's prime content not gonna lie um but when she put the sound on TikTok, like the response was borderline overwhelming. Fans are like, we need to get other songs trending. We need this song re-recorded. Is 1989 coming out? There's a glitch, like a physical, like little glitch that you can see in her TikTok that people think is a sign for when 1989 is going to be coming out. It's astronomical. And I think people are like, am I just looking for Easter eggs to find out when this album's coming out? Or is she actually giving us stuff? As I said, fans are in a headlock from Miss Swift. Not going to lie. Yeah. So it's people are speculating that 1989 will be possibly released before Red, which is high. And it's, yeah, people are just kind of like anticipating what she's going to do next. It's it's insane. Like, I could not imagine the influence and power to just like drop that um something that fans also know in wildest dreams is the bass beat 
um, like the drum beat is actually Taylor's heartbeat. And so it's much more pronounced in Taylor's version. You can listen to them um, back to back. Some people, you know, play a snippet of one and then the other. So you can like hear them really quick in succession. And I, I, you can definitely tell the difference, but I mean, the diehards clearly can tell the difference. So opinion, I don't think 1989 is coming out before Red. Red is going to come out November 19th and I'm going to brace myself. I don't know. If 1989 comes out before that, I will be thrilled, but I I cannot afford to put my emotional energy into praying another album into existence. All right, Brooke, you are our token Canadian. <laughs> it's weird saying that, but it, it's, you are Canadian and you recently turned 21. 21 is significant for most Americans, uh, particularly college students, when it comes to drinking. But as I said, you're Canadian. So really, 21 isn't quite as significant however you're living in the U.S. What do you think about the U.S. drinking age? Yes. So I'm from Saskatchewan where drinking age is 19. So I've been able to drink at home in my hometown for two years. And Every time I come here, I obviously can't drink. The law doesn't care where your citizenship is from. You follow American laws, even if you're from Canada. I've had lots of people ask me, surprisingly, like, oh, because you can drink at home, can you drink here? No, I had to wait till I was 21. So I recently turned um, 21. I have tested out the waters in downtown Grand Forks. It's quite interesting down there. Um, But... What I have to say is I don't understand why the drinking age is is different because I can say that when I was 19 years old and I turned 19 and I could drink, I'm not more mature now than I was then. So I don't see where that two year gap Mm -hmm. changed my ability to consume alcohol because I, I'm the same person now that I am that I was then. I don't feel like I'm 21. So I'm now all of a sudden much more responsible. I probably would have been making the same decisions two years ago when I was of legal drinking age in Canada versus here. Is the legal age 19 just in Saskatchewan or is it, is it like, uh, Oh, I thought it was 18 in Canada. So so in like it's in Manitoba and Alberta, it is 18. I'm pretty sure everywhere else it's 19. I'm not too sure why they do that. Hmm. Um, but so we do have a little bit of fluctuation across the provinces, mm-hmm. but it's 19 where I live. So kind of the tradition around my province is when you turn 18, you go across the border to Manitoba. Mm-hmm. You go have a nice legal drink there. Yeah. You come back, you still can't drink. You got to wait till your 19th birthday. And then when you're from Canada and you turn 21, you know, if we could come across the border, which we cannot right now, but you would typically come down to the States and you would enjoy your, you know, legal 21, your first American drink, as we would say, which I I don't really understand because why not just stay home? Why not? What's the difference? But Um, it was a little bit disappointing, I guess, when I could drink at home and, you know, not that I like 
not that it was the end of the world, but it was disappointing coming here and then having all my friends like, oh, let's go out for dinner or something and everyone gets a drink. And I'm like, oh, if I was at home, I could have one. But here I had to wait till I was 21 and I have a late I have a later birthday and in Canada, we start school a year earlier. So I didn't turn 21 until now, the start of my senior year. So already a little bit behind, but it's Mm -hmm. all right. What's interesting is the U.S. didn't have a national drinking age for some time. Um, Most of my aunts and uncles attended UND back in 70s, 80s, and they would go to Minnesota to drink. Because drinking age was 18 at the time. So I literally had a conversation with my aunt the other day. And she's like, oh, do you just go to Minnesota to drink? And I'm like, "Uh, no, it's 21 throughout the U.S. Like, I I couldn't tell you exactly when all of that switched over to a national age. But I... Apparently, people aren't even up to date on that. Like, my aunt and uncle, it didn't matter anymore because they were already 21. So, yeah. Um, My thoughts on the drinking age, actually, I think the drinking age should actually be higher. I People don't like that. I know. Um, Brain development, you're literally not there until like 25 or 26. And as you said, you weren't much different from 19 to 21 in how you're making your choices behavior-wise and consumption-wise. Like... I would sure hope that there would be a jump from 19-year-old Brooke to 25, 26-year-old Brooke. Um, mm-hmm. I sure hope that would be a big jump. I understand that, like, yeah, semantics, if it's 23 to 26, I mean, I get it. You're always going to have that kind of, like, close range. But I think raising that could potentially help with brain development type of thing. Let's be real here. College kids are not the brightest. I am not the brightest. There are definitely some brainiacs who are making great choices out there, but I I don't think so. I really don't. I should also add that North Dakota's driving age is also kind of wild. Um, granted, the 21 is far different than being a 14-year-old with a car. So here, do you get your... Um, do you get your learners or whatever you guys call that here? Your... Well, it's a permit. Um, so permit. I got okay. my permit at age 14. 14. That's yeah. so young. Yeah. So I could drive with a licensed adult um, at age 14. That's terrifying. That should not have been the case, number one. Um, but I, I just think about, like, I understand that even if you were to raise the drinking age, people will still drink underage. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think about the kids that like went to homecoming and barely had their license for a couple months because you have to hold it for a year so if you get your permit at age 14 on your exact birthday you can apply for your license one year um if you're 15 you only have to hold it for six months um they have recently changed some of that my youngest brother is 13 Ah, i'm terrified i'm scared he does not need to be behind a vehicle within a year or two that's no 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 but like Think about kids at homecoming or at prom or whatever, whatever scenario where they want alcohol. There's no way in heck those kids should be driving impaired when they're literally teenagers. Like, no way. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- so I think being able to crack down on some of that, like, 
knowing the reasoning for it, if you were to change the drinking age, I think that could actually be helpful in preventing accidents while driving or, I mean, yeah, that's, that's my take on it. I know it's unpopular, but that's, that's my thoughts. Well, I think that fits um, better more with, I guess, if you were to call it like the average lifestyle, like right now, when you're 21, when you turn 21, you're still a student, you're still learning, you're still trying to enter the workforce and do all of those things to kind of set you up for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And being able to go and make those decisions when you're 21 could possibly like hinder any like chances that you might be looking for in the future. But if you're waiting until things like 25, you're most likely already graduated and in the workforce. So you're living a whole different lifestyle. Yeah. I just think at that time grasp, in your life. Yeah. A better grasp on life and the consequences of things. Like I, I remember my freshman year, I went to a football game and I thought someone get a minor. It was like the second week of school. Like, what, y'all? Like, calm down. Like, and I understand the appeal for freedom and independence and making your own choices, but like, I just don't think it's worth it. I really don't. I don't. Demi, thoughts, mm. opinions. Hot takes. I personally have like no issues with the drinking age where it is now because I do agree with like Brooke where we're all young and we want to do the things that we want to do. And I think 21 is like a perfect age where you're in college and you're still like living it up and you do have to focus on like academic things and like prepare for the world. And I think that this definitely gives you the opportunity to do that in a way. I know there's some people who think we should actually lower the drinking age. I understand it from the perspective of like at 18, you are a legal adult. And I mean, you can be drafted into the military at 18, but you can't have a beer like that doesn't add up. Um, yeah, like I understand that perspective. If you're like, if you're going to if you're going to change the drinking age. Um, I understand if, why you would lower it to 18. Cause I mean, you said it 19 to 21 is not that different. 18 to 21, 18 seems a little bit young because a lot of people are turning 18 while they're still in high school. Oh, true. You know, I, me having a late birthday, I turned 18 while I was in, um, in college. So I was already in college when I turned 18. But a lot of 18 year olds are still in high school. Mm -hmm. Like you're right. still a high school student. And that just seems so young. Yeah. yeah. And I would and, I would argue the distribution of alcohol in high schools, yeah. being 18 and being able to buy and purchase. Yeah. That could definitely be interesting. But as I said, some people do think that lowering it to 18 with legal adult status makes sense. The United States recently changed their um, age for tobacco usage. It's t up to 21 now same age to drink um i won't give my full opinion on big tobacco companies because that's another opinion for another time but i it makes sense in my opinion to have all this at the same time however prior to the u.s changing uh tobacco to 21 it was 18 so for 18 year olds you can go to the gas station buy a lottery ticket and pack cigarettes because you're 18 and adult now so yep. it's 18 
um, in Canada. And I do come from a town, a very small town, and it is very common that high school kids smoke cigarettes. Mm -hmm. It's, it just is something that is so common across the board there, which I think is absolutely horrible. But these high school kids are allowed to go out and buy them. Well, yeah. And think about how, um, vaping, how that's been super, a massive rise. I mean, our generation almost eradicated tobacco usage and Penvic tobacco said, Oh, have a mango flavored vape. I don't, I don't even know if people liked it. Like four years ago, it, it became a trend. It just became a trend Mm -hmm. to vape. Yeah. Well, it was just another (laughs) thing where it's like, Oh, I look cool. And that's how smoking was originally. It was just like something to do because it was cool. You know? Yeah. The social convention of it, um, smoking and tobacco, not to mention how tobacco really dug their nails into weight loss industry. We love that. We love how Americans view health and eating and obesity and how that affects uh, medical conditions. We love that. It's great, Prime. Um, yeah, I I can understand why, like, my thoughts, if you were to raise the drinking age, like, some of that falls through. Um, like, obviously, if tobacco sits at 21 in the U.S., then, like, would you raise that as well? Um, I think it'd be more interesting to study how tobacco is distributed high school-wise. Again, like, I shouldn't, shouldn't say this, but I had classmates who would buy, you know, vapes and jewel pods for younger students because they were not 18. Um And I mean, how that gets distributed through high schools, how that could potentially look for alcohol if you were to lower the drinking age to 18. But yeah, that's my thoughts on it. We appreciate your international perspective, Brooke. Uh, So the NCAA has given the green light for Division I college hockey exhibition games. Where are you and D? We are hockey school USA. Um, that's what we're known for, right? That's the biggest thing at UND. I mean, hockey is in our blood, whether or not you even like sports or not. Like you just recognize it, its impact on culture across campus. It's a big deal. Um, should there be exhibition games? In my opinion, yes. I can understand where it's getting tricky with NCAA and, uh, players imaging and how they're making money off of all of that. I think exhibition games are important across the board for any sport. I mean, you need that time to have essentially a preseason, get some of the, you know, rough spots out to play and perform at your best. It's different. I understand being, you know, like a massive hockey school where you're probably not going to play all of your starters. Like, yeah, it's great to hype up the fans and get to see a glimpse at what the team's going to look like this year. But I mean, you got to have some of that player development, get some of those younger kids some time, Mm -hmm. try things you wouldn't try in a normal game. Like, it's fun. It's great. We love the atmosphere at the Ralph. Like, why not start that early? So, I think oh, go ahead. Oh, I think that um, looking at it with like an athlete's mentality, kind of what I would assume is that if you're only playing games that I guess counted for something, so not playing any exhibition games, that would be so stressful because every single thing that you're doing is has big consequences. Yeah, there's no room for error. No. So if you're just having that pressure put on you all the time and you're not having any sort of 
like little breaks where yes, you can still play the game that you love, but kind of with that like alleviated pressure, I feel like practicing and everything, it would just become a chore. Mm -hmm. Like how do you consistently enjoy something where it's constant pressure all the time? And that's where I think that exhibition games would be great for players mentality because you get a little bit of that break where yes, you're still playing, you're practicing. It is important and it is for something, but the consequences aren't that big. If you, if there is error, there's also some forgiveness for uh, conditioning. As I said, I played soccer in high school. We didn't get a preseason. And that moment when you finish out your first game and you think to yourself, oh, good God, I should have definitely been running sooner. Like your body hurts. Like you need that time to ease into it. Even at the professional level, uh, NFL just kicked off. And as a most starters don't play during preseason in the NFL. And I'm watching my favorite players who I've seen, you know, perform at their peak. Uh, They're gassed by like the third quarter. Like they're just not quite used to it. And so, again, to ease players into it, to have a little bit of fun where it's not as high pressure, but you still get to push yourself and recognize, oh, I should be doing this because um, I need to be in tune with how my body is and prevent an injury that can end a player's career. Uh, and how that affects mental health and all of that. Like, I mean, take care of yourself. I think preseason is important. On that note, UND's exhibition game against Bemidji State is October 2nd. So get ready for hockey to be back, boys. We are all excited. It'll be at the Ralph. Uh, Puck drop 607. I was going to say, October 2nd is a big day for football as well. Uh, our home game at the Alaris is against NDSU, school at the south of us in that not so gorgeous uh, green and yellow. So yeah, get excited for that as well. After coming off this week's win against Drake with a beautiful shutout, uh, 38-2-0. That's a nice little goose egg for us. We love to see that. Uh, congrats on the win, boys. We love to see that for the potato bowl showing. Um, Football also played on September 4th and the 10th. They won against Idaho State on the 4th, 35-14. Lost at Utah State, 24-48. It's okay. As I said, take that momentum against Drake. Let's see it against NDSU. For women's volleyball, they're on a bit of a losing streak, dropping sets to Central Michigan, Youngstown State, Butler, Drake, Green Bay, Montana, Bradley, St. Louis, and Northern Colorado. It's a tough streak. Got to snap out of it. Do your best, ladies. We know you're giving it your all on the court. Women's soccer played Bemidji State on the third. Uh, lost that game 0-2. Turned it around versus Northern State on the seventh for a 3-0 win. They were at Minnesota, lost 0-2. And then recently played on the 17th and lost to Oregon State 2-3. They're playing today, probably as we're recording this podcast, on the 19th at Portland. So best of luck, ladies. We'll see how that game shakes out for you. All right. Well, thank you, Claire, and thank you, Demi, for joining me, and thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We will be back next week. <laughs>